morning. I was teasing uh, my wife a little bit earlier. Uh, I was looking at my sermon notes, and I know I've, I've, I've teased about my eyesight going a little bit since I uh, am well north of 40 now. But uh, I was looking at my notes, and I was like, I can't really read these. <laughs> so I adjusted the font size on them. We're good to go. So, but, uh, but it is interesting how the Lord, uh, the Lord uses things uh, like that to help us understand that uh, we're not as young as we, we think we were, right? We're not as young as we think we are. Uh, this evening, uh, we'll be taking a look uh, from Jeremiah. So if you want to flip on over to Jeremiah, uh, we'll be in chapter 17, and our fo- focal passage will be verses 5 through 10. And tonight we'll be talking about, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. So as you're flipping to Jeremiah in, in way of introduction, I uh, wanted to give you a brief introduction to the, to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, the book of Jeremiah was written by Jeremiah the prophet somewhere between 630 and 580 B.C. Jeremiah was called to the task of prophesying and warning Judah ahead of the coming judgment and destruction of the nation. God had provided a warning that unless the people repented and turned back to God, that he would bring destruction upon Judah. If you know anything about the history, uh, you know that uh, Jerusalem had already fallen prior to this, and now Judah uh, is going to be subject to captivity as well. Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet, primarily because of the difficulties that he would encounter as he proclaimed his message to the people. He would also weep because he knew that the destruction of Judah was imminent, that it was inevitable due to the widespread idolatry, immorality, and unrepentant, hardened hearts of the people. And so as we look at Scripture this evening, my prayer is that we will examine our own hearts and that we would ask ourselves a few questions as we study what was going on with the people in Judah. I'd like for you to think and ask yourself, where have I placed my trust? Am I trusting in the Lord? Or have I put my faith in something or someone else? And sometimes it's difficult for us to maybe discern the difference between the two. But even if we would say that we're good church attenders and, and we volunteer and we do things for the church and we, we do nice things for other people, it might be that we have actually placed our faith in our own works as opposed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So tonight as we read through this and as we think about these people uh, in Judah and we look at their sin, I want us to be reflective of our own lives and our own hearts and where have we placed our trust because we will, as we'll see shortly, only the one who puts their trust in the Lord will be blessed. So please read with me as we, as we look at verses uh, 5 through 10 in Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength. And his heart turns from the Lord. He will be like a juniper in the Araba. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness, 
in a salt land where no one lives. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends out its roots out toward the stream. It does not fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. And it will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give each according to his way and according to what his actions deserve. So in order for us to to really understand this blessing and this curse and then the examining of the heart, it's important for us to know a little bit more about why it is that this judgment is coming upon the people. And if we back up just a tiny bit to the first four verses, we'll see the sins of the people being discussed. We'll see why it is that this blessing and this curse are being offered to the people, those who are trusting in the Lord and those who are, who are not. And if, in order for us to, to, to fully understand this, we're going we're gonna to take a, a, just a quick walkthrough on, on the, the first four verses. Uh, but specifically, I want you to notice that the people have substituted God. They have turned their backs from God, their backs to God. And they have not just turned their backs away from him, they've replaced him. See, human, human nature is that we will be subservient to something. We will be worshiping. We will be idolizing, if you will, something. And for the most part, we don't see humans turning away from God to nothing. We see humans turning away from God to idols. And that was the case here, certainly, with the people in Judah. In verse 1, there's a discussion about the sin of Judah being written with a pen of iron and a point of a diamond and it being engraved on the sin being engraved on the tablet of their hearts. So the sins were written on the tablet of their hearts. And and if we look at elsewhere in Scripture, and as certainly we'll see here towards the end of this evening, the sin is not what should have been written on their hearts. The desire for the idols is not what should have been written on their hearts. What should have been written on their hearts was the law of the Lord. That's what should have been written on their hearts. But they were not filling their hearts and minds with the law of the Lord. They were filling their hearts and minds with sinfulness and the worship of idols. So those sins were, were engraved upon the tablet in their hearts. And not only there, because the heart is not visible to us. If we look at our, our friends who are around here this evening, I can't tell what's going on within a person's heart, right? And, and for most of us, we might say, thank the Lord for that, right? Because sometimes we have, we have harbored ill will, or we might be upset about something, but we're not able to discern that. Usually, we, we notice things that are external. Verse 2 talks about that. The sins... The second part of verse 1, excuse me. The sins were engraved also, not only on the tablet of their hearts, but it was engraved on the horns and the altars that were raised to these false gods. See, the, the people had raised idols and altars to these idols around the surrounding area in Judah. And they were worshiping on the high places. They had Asherim poles that they were worshiping at. And all of these are being brought forth by God as, as proof to show the sin of Judah. 
And when we look at, when we look at these things, we, we ask ourselves, why? Why? We, we wonder why in the world people who were led out of Egypt into the promised land, they conquered the people of Canaan, they possessed the land, why would they turn their backs on God? But are we different? Are we different? What is it that we have as idols in our own hearts, in our own lives? What are the things that we place higher value on than God? What are the things that we put in front of him, in place of him? What are the things that we worship? What are the things that we build our own altars and idols to? Because we all struggle. Every single one of us has something that we struggle with that takes our time away from God, that causes us not to pray and not to read scripture, not to be in worship, not to do the things that we know that God wants us to. We spend our time. We actually have apps. I don't have my phone on me. That's probably a good thing, but my phone is back there. My phone actually has a little thing that pops up periodically telling me how much screen time I've been spending. And when I look at that sometimes, I'm embarrassed, frankly. Josh was talking about that this morning, about kids going to bed with the phone in the hand and then waking up. The first thing they do in the morning is they reach over and they grab the phone. What are they doing? They've got something that is drawing their attention so much that they're spending hours, days, if you add up the hours, every week to that little handheld device that provides them a window into the greater world. Nothing inherently wrong with a cell phone, nothing inherently wrong with playing a video game, nothing inherently wrong with following your favorite sports team. But when those things become a stumbling block, when they become the thing that takes the place of God, that takes the place that God should rightfully have in your life, then they become a problem. And we've convinced ourselves that those things are different than worshiping the idols in Scripture. And I would tell you that they are not. We've just convinced ourselves that they're not as bad. So it makes us feel better when our phone tells us that we've only spent 16 hours this week on the screen, right? It's a problem. And what makes it worse, if we look on down in verse 2, it says, While their children remember their altars and their ashram, beside every green tree and on the high hills. These people had taught their own children, whether proactively or passively, they had taught their children not to worship the one true God. They had taught their children to worship the idols instead of God. We do the same thing today. We're not just dumping on the people of Judah. This happens to us today, whether proactively or passively. Each and every single one of us that has children in our lives or young people in our lives, we are teaching them what is most important. I have a son who is now driving. This is my second child that I've taught how to drive. He is doing great. However, I have noticed that he has picked up one of his father's bad habits. In our part of the world, there is very little traffic on the roads. And when we drive, we generally drive the speed limit, so I'm not a speeder there necessarily. But there is a couple stop signs that we Hollywood. And Hollywood is you, you kind of give a look, look, and then you pull through, right? You don't actually come to a full stop. Well, now I'm trying to teach my son what it means to follow the traffic laws, and I'm driving along with him, and we roll up to a stop sign, and boom, he blows right through it. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he says, you never stop at that stop sign. And my response to him is, well, I don't care what I do. The law says you have to stop at that stop sign. And where dad can get a ticket, you can't because they'll, they'll prevent you from getting your license on time. 
I've done the same thing the people of Judah have done. I've taught my son that it's okay to blow through that stop sign by practice, not by my preaching, by my practice. I've taught him that it's okay to blow that stop sign. And that's a small little window of what people do in Judah in, in this day back, back in uh, 630 to 580 BC. They were doing it then. We are doing it today. We are teaching our children to be disobedient either uh, proactively and, and teaching them, actively teaching them, or we're teaching it to them passively, meaning that they're picking up our bad habits. What are we teaching them about God? How are we teaching them to worship God? What are we teaching them that looks like for us to follow God? Do they see us say that we're a Christian, yet we only touch our Bible on Sunday morning, and only when prompted to do so by someone reading from the pulpit? Do we practice praying out loud with our children and giving them opportunities to pray? Do we do Bible study with them at all, at any point during the week? I'm asking myself these questions as I'm asking you these questions. We try, we try at my house to, to study the Bible together. We're doing Bible studies with a, a student in Hawaii right now who happens to be uh, my daughter who's over there. And we're doing Bible studies with her just like we would if we were at home. She's on the computer sitting over in the corner. We're teaching proactively what it looks like to follow the Lord. And that sinfulness of teaching how to follow idols has risen up before God, and it stinks. And because of that stench of sin, God is going to pass judgment. He is going to send in the Babylonians, and he is going to end all of the sinfulness. And he's going to end it with a people who is going to drag them off and is going to be ruthless and treat, treat them extremely harshly. That's an understatement. God is going to pass judgment on the sin of the people. As we look on, we see that because of this sin, they're going to lose everything. Your wealth, in verse 3, it says, Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for your sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave you. And I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For my anger, for in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. So we see that because of these sins, as we move on into our, our key text for the evening, we see that this is why we have gotten to the point where God is now pronouncing curses for those who are not faithful to him. But even as he is going to do this, even as he is going to bring about the captivity of the people, please notice that for those who are faithful to God, there are still blessings. Even as we sit here this evening, having gone through an extremely tumultuous 2020 with the global pandemic, we've talked about people we know who are sick, people we know who are dying, not necessarily all because of the coronavirus, but we have people who are passing away around us, sweet, dear members of our church. We've gone through an extremely tumultuous election season where the country has been polarized, people against people, families against families, people not even talking to each other who just spent the holidays together just the year before and everything was perfectly fine. Now they can't even stand and look at each other or talk to each other. In the midst of difficult times, it's important for us to remain focused on the Lord 
to remain focused on following the Lord because even in the difficult times, the Lord provides blessing. So as we look at at the first, we're going to look at the curses for those who trusted in mankind. Jeremiah 17.5 begins and says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. When we read that, what, 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 do you, what do we mean? What do we mean people who trust in man? Well, I think when we look at trusting in what others say, when we look at trusting, trusting in what uh, a trend might be, trusting in what uh, groupthink might lead us to, people who are not led by the Lord, people who are led by their own desires, their own wants, that's what I think of when I, when I think of what it means to be trusting in man, to be trusting not only in our mental abilities, in our technology, our intellect, governmental leaders, however, however you want to look at that. It's, we're trusting in man to provide the leadership alone. And we make flesh our strength and whose hearts are turned away from the Lord. So as we begin to look for man's wisdom and man's intellect and man's input on all things, we begin to trust more and more in man. We begin to trust more and more, many times, folks, in science, in our, in our government, and we put all of our faith and trust in what they can do for us and how they are going to do things for us. And when we do that, we must be careful I'm not saying that those things are bad things, and I don't want anybody to hear me and, and think that that's what I'm, I'm saying, but what I think is we have to be careful in how we follow. We have to be careful in the type of devotion that we give to our government, the, the devotion that we give to following science, because those things are not going to lead us to the Lord. Those things are not going to lead us in the paths of righteousness. They're going to lead us in the wisdom of man, which leads to sin. And we don't need to look any farther than some of the examples that man has given us over the years. We have uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday that we, that we just, just went through. We, we, we talked a great deal about the sanctity of human life. But man's wisdom would tell us that an abortion is merely a medical procedure to alleviate an unwanted condition that the patient happens to be in. And we're removing a mass that is uh, foreign matter and uh, is not wanted. And uh, we're doing it for the, the mother's health. That's man's wisdom. God would say that you're killing a child. And as hard as that is for us to hear, we need to recognize the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. We need to recognize the difference between absolute truth and absolute garbage. And because people follow man's wisdom... God is going to turn up the heat. And he mentions in verse 6 that those who are cursed, the one who trusts in man, is going to be like a shrub in a desert place, and that they shall not see any good come, and that he will dwell in a parched place of wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. He's going to be like a shrub planted out in the salt flats. If you guys have ever seen any pictures of the salt flats where they do the speed runs. It is dry, cracked, concrete-hard soil. 
There's no vegetation out in the middle of that. That's why they can run those cars and motorcycles and, and rocket trucks and whatever else they run out there. That's why they can do all of that because it's devoid of vegetation and it's just flat. That is where the person who trusts in man chooses to plant his tree in the dead center of a dried up dead salt valley. There's nothing there that is going to help it grow. There is no water to quench the thirst. This morning, Josh talked about drinking sweet tea and how sweet tea is a liquid, right? And it's supposed to, it tastes so good, but it's not something that quenches your thirst. It didn't stop me from drinking two sweet teas at lunch, but we need the water, right? We need the, the spiritual water from the Lord that wells up with inside us, that living water that Jesus Christ promised. We want to be close to the source of the water, and the one who trusts in man's knowledge does not. They're parched, they're dry. They don't have the living water within them. They're not connected to that source of life. And it says that they'll be out in the wilderness in the dry place alone. So in verse 7, we, we begin to turn our attention now to those who are going to trust in the Lord. Scripture says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So there are blessings for those who trust in the Lord. And the man who trusts in the Lord is blessed. And if it sounds like I'm saying the same thing twice, it's because that's what the scripture says. It's trying to push the point home. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is indeed in the Lord. The man who does not merely give lip service to following the Lord, but the man who is wholeheartedly clinging to the Lord for everything, depending upon the Lord for everything. He is like a tree planted by the water. And if this sounds familiar, we know this from reading in Psalm 1. And I will flip there real quick to Psalm 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So the righteous man, the man whose trust is in the Lord, is like that, that tree that is planted by the stream. Regardless of the heat that life brings, whether that be personally, nationally, worldwide, regardless of the heat that comes, that tree that is planted close to the stream of the living water will not cease to have green leaves. It will not cease to be alive. It will not cease to bear fruit because it sends its roots out toward the stream and it receives 
nourishment. It receives its strength and replenishment from the stream. So what is the difference between these who are those who are cursed and those who are blessed? The heart is the key. When we talked originally about the heart of those who were wicked, those who uh, were, were cursed because they were trusting in mankind, the difference between them and, and the one who is trusting fully in the Lord is, is the heart. In verses 9 and 10, say that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And just as that question is asked, the Lord steps in with an answer. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And as we read later in Jeremiah, as we get to chapter 31, God is going to provide hope for the people going through these difficult times. He's providing hope for those who have put their trust in the Lord. And Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 through 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So it is a heart condition that separates those who are cursed and those who are blessed and we see here in Jeremiah 31 that those who were cursed that had the sin written on their heart, it is not so for those who believe in the Lord. For it is not sin that is written on their hearts, but it is the law of the Lord because he has put it there. He has written it on their hearts and it's not scrawled onto a heart of stone. It is impressed upon a heart of flesh. And he will be their God and they shall be his people and he will remember their sins no more. So it is the condition of the heart that separates them. It is the condition of what is written on the heart that separates them. The difference is where they're placing their trust. So as we look in Scripture in the Old Testament, and as we see examples of the Israelites, these people from Judah, others as we look at books like Judges, and, and sometimes I think we're, we get frustrated with them, frankly. We, we look at them and we say, man, these people are silly, That really, just silliness. You've seen God do all of these things. He's part of the Red Sea. He's led you in a, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He spoke to you from a mountain that rumbled when he spoke, and you're going to turn your back on him? But we're worse because he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live among the people to live among us, 
to die on the cross for our sins. And while none of us was physically alive to see him, we have written record of where he was here, how he came to do all of the things that God promised that he would do, how he came to break the power of sin and death. And yet today, people still turn their back on that message. They turn their back to God because their hearts are hard as stone and their sin is scrawled across their hearts. My prayer is that in these times of struggle, we will have an opportunity to talk to our friends, to talk to our family, to explain to them what it means to trust in the Lord, what it means to place your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what it means to turn your back on man's wisdom, what it means to turn your back on sin and follow after Jesus Christ what it means to be forgiven of those sins. As Josh illustrated this morning in talking about raising his kids up high, and he talked about them clinging to his arms for safety, we want to tell our friends and our neighbors and our family members who are struggling with sin that they should be clinging to Christ the same way that he talked about his kids clinging to his arms for safety. Because it is only in the power of Jesus Christ, it is only in the forgiveness that we have through his death on the cross, that we can truly be saved, be forgiven of our sins, and have a right relationship with God. So what are you clinging to in the current times, these current difficulties? Put your trust in God alone. Flesh will fail you. Man will mislead you. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because he alone is worthy, he alone is faithful, and he alone can save. Please join me as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the truth that only in following you, Lord, only in following you can we be blessed. Only in following you, only in trusting in you can we be forgiven of sins. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you. We praise you for all you do for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.